Good morning. Welcome. Uh, let's pray once again. Lord, where else Lord, can we go? Lord, you indeed have the words of eternal life. Lord, help us. Help me. Lord, help us to, to see you, to, to hear what it is that you are teaching, Lord, and to respond accordingly. Amen. So on that topic of asking, how good are you at asking for help? Are you someone who's good? You're, you're, are you really? Is he? Sandra? How good are you asking for help? When you go into a shop, how many times do you go up and down the aisle before you ask someone who works in the shop where the item is you're looking for? Or are you one of the people, no, you assume if you can't find it, it's probably not there, you just go out the shop. Do you avoid the shops where the second you walk in, the customer service assistant asks you, how can I help you? How awkward is that? How so, like, well, we're British, aren't we? You, you don't do that. How good are you at asking for help? Several years back, we were on a camping holiday, and we were setting up the tent, and one of the fiberglass poles has fractured slightly. Now, this is an Easy enough repair, a temporary fix that will get us through camping. I just need some duct tape. We don't have any duct tape. Seth is about six at the time, turns to me and says, why don't you ask some of the other people in the tent? Well, that's awkward. I don't want to bother them. It's fine. I'll sort it out. I'll just, I'll move some things. We could probably just do without the, the front canopy of the tent and it will be okay. Seth says, I'll go and just suddenly shoots off. A few minutes later, he's running up the hill, big grin on his face, waving this reel of duct tape. Got it. Got it sorted. Don't want to ask. No, maybe that is a British thing. There's something that feels a bit awkward about bothering someone. And if I can't fix it myself, I'll just learn to live without it. Perhaps that's you. Maybe it isn't you. And yet we can all take that same attitude and that approach when it comes to prayer. And that's really why Jesus tells this parable. Because God is more willing to give than many times we are to ask. And we're taking a break from Galatians whilst Rich isn't here. We're in Luke 11 this morning, so do have your Bibles open to Luke 11. And one of the disciples has come to Jesus and they've said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. To pray, And so Jesus shares something that is somewhat similar to what we see recorded in uh, Matthew 6. And really that shouldn't surprise us because as a traveling teacher, you know, Jesus would have reused some of his teaching. He would have reused stories. He may have shaped them slightly differently depending on the context. Now when I go and speak somewhere else, I reuse some of my stories, some of my illustrations, reshape them. You've probably maybe even experienced, even at the same church sometimes, you're like, oh, it's that story again. Uh, so th- there's a reuse of, of things, uh, and Jesus is, is doing the same here. But in, in this context, he's focusing on something slightly different. So in Matthew 6, it's as though Jesus is giving some elaboration on the line, forgive us our debts. Uh, and here in Luke, it's as though this parable is Jesus' elaboration on this line in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Now, the Lord's Prayer, we read that to give us something of the context. That's not going to be the main focus this morning. 
This morning, I'm going to focus primarily on the parable and the application of that parable. And two things that come from it. Now, how are we to respond in terms of give us each day our daily bread? Now, well, we are to ask expectantly and we are to expect good. Now, in the spring of 2017, Tanya had just come home um, from having heart surgery. Uh, For a period of about six weeks, uh, a little bit more, they said she wouldn't even be able to lift a kettle. Now, I'm asleep in bed, and suddenly I wake up at midnight, and I hear this noise, and it's, it's coming from Orla's bedroom. So I go into her bedroom, and she's there. She's breathing, but she's finding it a struggle. Now, to cut a long story short, call 111. They send paramedics over uh, they give her something to, to treat. What she's got is quite bad croup. And they said, we're going to send an ambulance. We want to take you to the hospital so she can have the necessary steroids. Now, there's a slight problem here. Because I need to go to the hospital with Orla. And under normal circumstances, I would just leave Tanya at home with Seth. But at that point, Tanya couldn't even sit up in bed without assistance. And so I couldn't leave Tanya and Seth there home alone. If Seth needed something, Tanya wasn't able to help. And if Tanya needed something, I mean, Seth wouldn't be able to help. I needed someone to come over uh, and to help us in that situation. But it's one o'clock in the morning. Uh, whoever I contact, I'm going to be waking them up. They're going to be asleep. And when I call them, I'm going to be waking up the rest of their household. So what am I going to do? And if you were in that situation, if you were in that scenario, what would, what would you do? Just take a moment to think. What would you do when there's that need? And for that need to be met, you are going to be something of a nuisance. It's going to be awkward. You're going to inconvenience someone. Calling them at unsociable hours. What are you going to do? I call them call this person. Yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's being a bit of a nuisance. But I dare to ask in this instance because I expect a positive answer. And the person came round. They looked after Tanya and Seth and I went to the hospital with Orla. I asked and I received. That's what Jesus is teaching on here in this parable. Now, the reason I tell that story first is because sometimes when we dissect a parable, it loses something of its impact. It's a bit like when you tell the punchline of a joke. And I think one of the best ways to honor parables is to try and translate them into a contemporary context. Something that we can experience, we know from our experience. And so then we experience something of that initial impact of hearing the parable in a similar way to the disciples did when they heard it. Now, once that's been done, it's the work of showing, demonstrating that this is a faithful retelling of the parable, which is what we're going to do now. Have a look down at verse 5. Jesus begins with this hypothetical scenario. Uh, He says to his disciples, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now the disciples lived in a particular place at a particular time. And it's important for us to know something of uh, that culture in helping us to understand this parable. And in their culture, there was this expectation, this requirement that you would offer hospitality. There's a cultural expectation that you offered hospitality. You provided food, you provided shelter to people who needed it. You did it as an individual, you did it as a community. And a failure to do that would bring shame on you, would bring shame on your community. There's this cultural expectation. Maybe in a similar way, if you're on the underground and you're going down the escalator, there is the cultural expectation you stand on the right. I don't know why we drive on the left, but you stand on the right. And woe to you if you stand on the left. There was an even greater woe in the first century if you failed to offer hospitality. If you were a bad host, you could bring shame on yourself, your family, and your whole community. So just for a moment, imagine you are living in the first century. And late at night, a friend on a long journey has come to you. And they're looking for somewhere to stay. You have this cultural obligation to be a good host. You need to provide them with food, lodgings, security. Slight problem. You've eaten all your bread. You have no spare bread. And there is no 24-hour supermarket that you can just nip out to and buy something. Now, you're in a bit of a dilemma. At the moment, you are not going to be a very good host. What are you going to do? And then you remember, oh, you saw in the day, your neighbor was out there baking bread. And they were baking plenty of bread. They had enough for the next day. So they're going to have some spare bread. Solution is simple. I'm just going to go to my neighbor and ask them for some bread. Slight problem. It is late at night and they are asleep. And again, most houses, uh, people used to sleep together in the same room. They'd roll out mats and they'd sleep next to each other. So if you're waking one person up, you're waking everyone up, especially when it comes to them lifting the heavy beam to, to unlock the door. So what are you going to do in that situation? You have a desperate need. This is an emergency situation. But to ask means that you're going to be a nuisance. It's awkward. What are you going to do? And to the first century audience, the answer is obvious. We'll go and ask. We need to ask in this situation, just like the answer was obvious when all had croup. Okay, this is awkward, it's a bit of a nuisance, but we're going to ask anyway. Yes, you're being a nuisance. Yes, it's going to inconvenience the person that you are asking, but you expect a positive answer, and so you are going to ask. In that situation, as awkward as it is, you dare to ask. Now, this isn't a parable about persistency in prayer. Now, that comes later, Luke 18. Now, just notice as you look uh, at verse 7. It's not that this person asks and the neighbor initially says, no, I'm not going to answer the door. 
But you keep badgering them on and on and on, and eventually they give in. Verse 7, suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The NIV adds this, uh, and suppose, because it's all linked together with what Jesus says in verse 5. Suppose, this is an imagined scenario. This dialogue in verse 7 isn't what the neighbor is actually saying. This is the imagined dialogue that goes on in your head when you think, I need to do this. What might this mean? And you think, when I'm being a nuisance, when I'm being awkward, you know, what if my neighbor says, you're waking me up, you're disturbing everyone. So you go through this imagined dialogue. And yet, you still ask. You dare to ask. It's not a parable about persistency. If anything, it's a parable about expectancy in prayer. And so verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because, not because of your persistency, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And Jesus is saying, in that situation, just imagine that scenario, why is it that you get what you ask for? And he says, well, it's not because of friendship. If there's an emergency situation and you're banging on your neighbor's door, now, friendship doesn't really come into that equation. Now, the reason they help you in that scenario is not because of friendship. It's because you dare to ask because of your shameless audacity. You know that you're being a nuisance, but you persist. You push through. You dare to ask. And in every culture, now we know of those situations. We know of those scenarios where asking means being a nuisance. But still, you're like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go through that, that internal dialogue. I'm going to push through. I'm going to dare to ask. In the first century, it was a hospitality scenario. Now, for us and with Orla, it was a hospital scenario. But whatever your experience, I'm sure now you could all think of a scenario where asking someone means being something of a nuisance. And yet you know in that instance, I am going to ask, and I'm asking expectantly. No matter how much it may bother someone, no matter how much you're going to be a nuisance to them, you still dare to ask. And Jesus takes that same principle here in this parable. He says to his disciples, he says to us, you know that situation. You all know, you've all experienced that situation where you dare to ask. You overcome that awkwardness, that embarrassment, and you dare to ask. And when you ask, you expect a positive response. That's why you ask. Though it's awkward, you expect a positive response. And you ask. And because you ask, you receive. And then here's the point that's being drawn from this. How much more then should we ask and ask with an expectancy when we pray to our Heavenly Father? Now, if we would ask of a friend who's bolted the door, who's asleep, then how much more should we ask our Heavenly Father who stands at the door, who is ready 
who is waiting to give us everything that we need. And so verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. And everyone who asks receives. And the grammar of this passage speaks of a continued action. So continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock. Now again, this isn't a persistency because God is disinterested. As though we need to badger him to get his attention. The first time we ask, he's like, eh. The second or third, he starts to perk up a bit of an interest. And then by the the 10th, 12th, 20th time, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you what you need. No, because in verse 10, it speaks also of a continued receiving. A continued finding. A continued opening. See, we, we are to keep on asking. We are to keep on seeking. We are to keep on knocking so that we keep on receiving. So that we keep on finding. So that the door keeps on being opened. Remember, all this comes in the context of verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. That's why there's meant to be a continual asking and seeking and knocking. Because this is a daily thing. It's not just a once for all I ask now, and all my provision for the rest of my life is given there in that instance. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, so that you can keep on receiving and finding that that door keeps being opened. And so Jesus says, ask and you will receive. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now when we... Uh, when we first moved down um, to, I suppose, what we call the South, uh, we, we moved down from Yorkshire at that point. So this was, we were further South than this. So yeah, we were proper South. Uh, when we first moved down to the South, near the M25, uh, we experienced the increased cost of living. And at that point, Tanya had only just started working as a teacher. Uh, I was struggling to find employment. And finances were getting very, very tight. And I can... Remember, in fact, where I was in the bedroom of the tiny little apartment that we were living in. I'm praying, God, we are struggling financially here. We need your help. We need your daily provision. And the next day, a letter comes through from our previous energy supplier with a check for 300 pounds. And then a few months later, as that money starts to run out, I'm walking down the street. Again, I can picture where I am. It, is, it was Deadworth Road in Windsor, coming back from the Tesco's. And I'm listening to this sermon. And the preacher is talking about when your back is up against the wall. You've got nowhere else to turn. That's not a frightening place to be. It's an exciting place to be because it means God has to do something. When you've got nowhere else to turn, where you cannot rely on yourself... God has to do something. And as you ask him, as you seek him, now he will give you what you need. And so there I stop and I pray. I'm 
Like, God, you, you know our financial situation. We're struggling again. Please give us what we need. And within 10 minutes, my brother-in-law calls me and says, there's a, a friend at, at my church who owns his own business. He's looking to employ some people. I mentioned you, are you interested? So for the next few months, I was working there. And I tell these stories not to paint myself as a great man of faith. Not at all. But to demonstrate and for this reminder, a reminder that I need so much. Know that these aren't just words that we mentally assent to. We, We nod and we agree and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we forget it. How quickly and how easily we forget. I forget. We forget and then we fret. We forget what Jesus says. We forget, we fret, and then we think it's all down to us. Despite even from my own experience of finding these words to be true. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Now, of course, we know this isn't a blank check promise of whatever you ask for. Now, whatever whim, whatever desire, that God is going to give that to you. The context here is asking for our daily needs. It's not about our self-indulgent wants. And yet sometimes we're so quick to warn against the abuses of passages like this. Now that we fail to see and listen and to hear the challenge that God is speaking to us. We fail to hear the message that we need to hear in this instance. Are we asking? Do we ask? Do we ask God for help? Are we asking daily? And when we ask, do we ask expectantly? Do we expect that God will answer? Why is it at times that we expect an answer from a begrudging neighbor, and yet we doubt the answer from a benevolent father? Are we asking? God is more willing to give than we are to ask. And so Jesus says, he says, ask expectantly and also expect good. Now have a look at verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now most mornings, Seth and Orla will have a boiled egg for breakfast, the conversation in the morning goes something along the lines of, what would you like for breakfast? Egg, please, if they're being polite. Uh, but egg is normally in the sentence anyway. When they come down to breakfast, I have yet to see them come down wearing protective clothing, you know, goggles, and carrying a net with them. Why is that, you may ask. You may wonder. Well, it's because it never even enters into their thought that, oh, today there's going to be a live scorpion sitting in my egg cup. They've never had that experience. And I'm not a perfect father. I'm a faltering father. Now, in many, many ways, now I, I fail my kids in the way that I should be as a father. There are times that I react uh, fairly harshly. I raise my voice inappropriately, not for their good, but because I'm frustrated. Or rather, my selfish desires have been frustrated in that moment. 
I'm not a perfect father. And there is much repentance. And yet still, with all my failings as a father, it has never occurred to me that, you know what, this morning, I should put a live scorpion in their egg cup. And so Jesus says, verse 13, If you then, now though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now God isn't like me. He's not like us. He's so much greater. Than when we're at our best, God is so much greater, infinitely greater than that. You know, some of us have had good fathers. Some have had the experience of having monsters for fathers. And yet even the best father just, just cannot compare. I mean, the, the brightest light of the full moon just doesn't compare with the brilliance of the sun, does it? And in the same way, even the best earthly father just cannot compare to the goodness of our heavenly father. And if a good earthly father would give good gifts, then how much more, Jesus says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God is so good, he has to tell us what to ask for. There's this kind of nudge here in this passage. Now, the best that we can imagine, it falls so far short of the good that God would give. God only gives good gifts. And God gives the very best. And the very best that God can give is his very self. Now, when we think of our, our daily needs, what is it we need? What is it we, we need to ask for? And we think of you know, food and, and clothing and shelter. And here we get this little nudge. It's though the heart of God is crying out to us and says, you know, I know you need those things and I will give you those things, but I want to give you so much more. And so I'm giving you this note. Take the hint. Take the hint here. I'm asking you to ask for so much more because I will give you so much more. I will give you my very self. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We've been given this big nudge. The Holy Spirit, God himself, God's empowering presence. And remember again, this is all given in the context of us asking for our daily bread. This grammar that says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking in order that you may keep on receiving. That you may keep on finding that that door may, may continually be open to you. And so here when Jesus says, ask your heavenly Father, for the Holy Spirit. This isn't a one-off prayer. It's not a one-off prayer for a one-off experience, for a one-off filling. This is a daily prayer. This is a daily need that we are called to. Daily ask. Daily ask for that empowering presence of God in our lives. Keep on asking each day that you may keep on receiving, that we keep on being filled. So how good are you at asking? Now this week I sensed the loving challenge of God towards my heart. Now even before preparing this. 
Now, when faced with circumstances that are beyond my ability, when faced with a calling, uh, our calling to be the children of God, that is beyond our natural ability. Rather than asking expectantly in prayer, I find it so much easier to just lower my expectations and to ask for less. Now, rather than it being stepping out of my capability zone, it comes, you know, let's just step out of my comfort zone, God. Do things that I can do, but maybe I'm a bit uncomfortable doing them. Bless some of my plans. Help me to do them. And so when faced with this great calling that God has placed on our lives, I find it so much easier to just lower my expectations. And as I lower my expectations, as I expect little, I then ask for little. Now, some of that laziness, quite probably. But I think it's also a failure to see the goodness of God. Now, that more than food, more than shelter, more than clothing, my daily need, our daily need, is this empowering presence of God, His Spirit, now with us, filling us. Because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose having defeated the power of sin and death, ascended to heaven, to pour out the Spirit. And we read in passages like Jeremiah 31. Now this is the reason for the forgiveness of sins. That we may have this closeness of intimacy. Of fellowship with God. By and through His Spirit. See there isn't a reluctance on God's behalf. There's not a lack of readiness from God's side. The door isn't bolted. The owner is not asleep. And so we're called to ask. If we would dare to disturb our neighbor when it's awkward, how much more so should we ask God and ask expectantly? So often we have not because we ask not. God is more willing to give than we are to ask. And so in light of this, Now let's be those who ask, who dare to ask. Who ask, who ask daily, who ask expectantly. That we would ask that God would fill us anew, fill us afresh each day. That we may indeed now live as the people of God's presence. Living and expanding for His glory. This is a calling beyond our natural ability. But it is one that God is so willing to answer if we would just dare ask him. Let's do that now.